0: If you would, take your Bibles and please turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 is where we find ourselves. So let's be honest with each other. Romans 7 is a downer, isn't it? Yeah, you go through that. And it's a downer because of what you're reading. It's a downer because you see the struggle that Paul is putting forth when he talks about, here's what it looks like when I try to please God in the flesh. And it ends in nothing. And he, he, uh, I want to, but I can't. I'm trying to. I have every good intention in the world. And we realize why it's so sad is because we often see ourselves in Romans 7. Can you identify with that? You know what I love about Romans 7? That's not the end of the book. And Romans 8 gives way to the alleviation of the Romans 7 predicament. If you're someone who reads through Romans 7, the good I want to do, I cannot do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself in the midst of, whether that be in thought or deed or word, what have you. Romans 8 is the solution to get out of this because what Paul is teaching us is that doesn't even have to be an option in your life. Look at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no catacrima. For those who are in Christ Jesus, you need to know this word, and that's why I spent so much time going over it previously when we addressed it back in in chapter 5 and last week. So let me briefly give it to you. This word katakrema doesn't just mean you're consigned to the lake of fire, and now that's not a reality because you believed in Christ. It's not what it means if you research some of the deeper, richer lexicons, you actually find out it means not only has a sentence been pronounced or not only has a judgment been made, but you have been sentenced in light of that judgment. Not only is it if you don't know Christ, you are destined for the lake of fire, but now you have been enslaved in between the entire time of being born and unto that end. So what catacrima actually gets at is an enslavement to sin. Well, wasn't the problem that Paul was just dealing with in Romans 7 was the fact that even though he's been justified, he's been declared righteous by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, he's still dealing with sin. Isn't that the problem? And the sin is singular, yes? Indwelling sin, the sin nature. Notice what he's saying then. Think about it real quick. Therefore, there is now no enslavement to sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? You don't have to obey your sin nature. You are not obligated in any way to obey your sin nature. We're good, bitch. I didn't even have it on. Now I'm on. Am I on? I'm on. Good. I forget about this pack thing, whatever. I think it's like my wallet's in the wrong pocket or something. There's no enslavement to sin. Which means the idea of, well, I just couldn't help myself is a problem of thinking. It's a problem of perspective. We're not embracing everything that is true that God has said is true of us in our location, in Christ Jesus. Does everybody see the word in, in verse one? That speaks to location, location, location. And when you have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, and that transference puts you in a position in Christ you now have multiple blessings that come out of that. In fact, I've been doing a study. I've told you guys a little bit about it. I've given some of you the sheets. And what's interesting is, is as I go back and look at these passages, I'm finding more and more and more, but, I, but I'm doing something that's called already blessings for the believer in Christ. Things that we already have that are either ours or we now have the potential because of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the fact that we're in Christ. I found 80 80 already blessings in the book of Romans alone. 80. Just things that are true about me. I don't believe that they're true all the time. In fact, I find when I'm operating in unbelief is when I'm operating in enslavement to sin and God's word is telling me otherwise. There's my point of confession. There's my point, depending on what's going on in my life, repentance is recognizing I've been thinking about this all. Wrong. In fact, that's what the word repentance means. To change your mind, to think otherwise, to think again after the fact. And it's only the word of God that is the corrective to set us on that straight. So the first thing that Paul wants us to get here in the first four verses, and we did cover them last week. I'm going to go quickly. I know you don't believe that. Is the idea that if we want to live the Christ's life, number one, we got to understand Christ is who makes that possible. Christ provides it. There's therefore now no enslavement to sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's your explanation. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and that is the highest law, okay? The law, the principle, the truth of the spirit of God, and that's the spirit of life, new life, eternal life, abundant life. It all comes from the source of the spirit. In Christ Jesus, look what it says, has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is the law, the sin nature, that truth in me that wants to do the wrong things. No, no, no. Spirit of God has liberated you. That's the first thing we got to have our mind corrected about. God's spirit indwelling me has liberated me from myself. Why didn't you say amen? Don't try to make up for it now. But think about that. Stop. You're writing it down. Very good, Roxanne. Brown noser. Okay. (laughs) Teacher's pet right there. Think about this, though. Stop stop for just a second and think about it. How did I struggle throughout this week? What did Monday look like? Always Monday, right? Especially before you had coffee. What did Monday look like? What did Tuesday look like? Now, I'm not trying to depress you by going back and thinking through our highlight reel of grand observances. (laughs) Whatever sins happen. But I'm sure we all found places where we struggled. We were amazed at the thoughts that we were thinking. How in the world did that get in my brain? I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I reacted that way. Why is my behavior so poorly given? And I guarantee you that every one of those instances were done in such a way as to where I was not caring whatsoever about the fact that the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from those things that I fall back into enslavement of christ on the cross is the great liberator who when he goes to the father he asks of the father and the father sends the spirit to indwell us so that we have a power outside of ourselves that can make the difference too often i'm looking for answers in here especially here newsflash there's nothing here (laughs) let's just be honest you guys know it. I'm going to verify it. However, the spirit of God in me, good grief. I don't know any other, I don't know any other emotion that bubbles forward, but humility and thinking of, wow, I can actually do God things because God wants to do his things in me. Amazing. Verse three, for what the law, What? which law are we talking about? The law of sin and death could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. That's how we know that that particular law, regardless of capitalization or not, is the law of sin and death. Why? Because the flesh is the problem. God's law is not the problem. God's law is perfect. The problem is me. Notice, weak as it was through the flesh, and man, you need to highlight this, mark it, put some barbecue sauce on it, I don't care. God did. Everybody see that? God does it. It's God doing it. God is the active agent in bringing about this opportunity for me. Notice, how did he do it? He's sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, my sin nature, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, the very place that was the problem for me, God wanted to send his son in the flesh vehicle like we are, and he dies in the flesh and takes care of the flesh sin problem. Does everybody see that God is constantly showing us what you could not do, what you could never do, I did. What you keep trying to accomplish, I say it is finished. You keep trying to do it through the flesh, guess what? I'm going to use the flesh, and I'm going to condemn your sin nature in the flesh and take care of your sin nature problem. Not just your sins. The blood covers that. No, I'm gonna take the cross and I'm gonna deal with your sin. Everybody see that? So notice, to to live the Christ life, it starts with everything that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. Now we get into verse five. I'm sorry, forgive me, verse four. Here's the reason why that happened. So the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now think about that. What is the requirement of the law? To live a pleasing life to God is essentially what it is. And it's a life that I could never live in the flesh. But what I find is, is that when Christ condemns my sin nature in his flesh and dies, God makes it possible for you and I to be fulfilling the law. Now watch this, because I want to point out two things. I got you last week on it. Notice So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Everybody see the word in? Pay attention to it, because it doesn't say by. It is not, well, now that I have this new life in Christ and now that I have the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go fulfill the law. No, you're not. You will never, ever, 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 ever. ever. It will never happen. But what I need to recognize is Christ has already fulfilled the law for me. And because Christ dwells in me, I am a law fulfiller if. There's a contingency here. Watch what it says at the end of verse four. Who do not walk according to the flesh. That's the problem of Romans seven, right? But look what it says. But according to, in relation to the spirit. In other words, I'm not operating in, you can't operate in the sphere of law and fulfill the law. It's impossible. Instead, you're in the sphere of grace and you become a fulfiller of the law in the sphere of grace, not because you're fulfilling it, because you're relying on the spirit. And when you rely on the spirit, guess what? Everything that comes out of you from that moment is Christ likeness and is completely compatible with the law. Christ never operates apart from God's truth. It's impossible. And so when Christ is being manifested in us because we've surrendered our rights and we're giving up and we're saying Jesus, I just want you to use me. I'm just I'm just humbling myself and I need to get out of the way. I'm crucifying the flesh with its sinful desires and desiring for you to be the difference. Guess what? All of a sudden, God things start happening. And when God things happen, next thing you know, we're actually fulfillers of the law. Now, what? That's insane. I had to think about that for a while and still need three Tylenol to get past it. That's something to meditate on. Do I totally get it? No, but if I did, I wouldn't need Jesus, okay? Verse five, now we switch because now he wants to show us that not only did Jesus put you in the position for Christ's life living, to live the Christ's life, but he also gave you the Holy Spirit as the power to live the Christ's life. Look at verse 5. He says, "For, there's your causal conjunction, those who are according to the flesh, those who are in relation to the flesh. Now watch this. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things Of the Spirit. Flesh is in the category of law, spirit is in the category of grace. Now, everybody, see this word here, set their minds. Everybody, see that phrase? It's one word in the Greek, and it's the Greek word phroneo. And it's the idea of having an opinion, having careful consideration over something. But here's what's interesting about it it involves the mind and the will and the emotions. What do we know that as? Mitch, can we bring up our our circle diagram? What do we know mind, will, and emotions as? The soul. Now remember that. When you believe in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in and cleans house with your spirit. You are now made righteous in your spirit. Soul, mind, will, and emotions, far from help. Body is the vehicle that carries out our sinful desires or when we rely on the Spirit, carries out the Christ life through us. But notice here. Your will, your emotions, your mind. It's talking about everything that deals with your soul. This idea is how you proposition yourself to live and respond to things in life. Think of it this way. For those who are according to the flesh, proposition themselves, their thinking, their desires, and their responses, that's what emotions are, on the things of the flesh. You ever held out for something that you knew was wrong, but you're still holding out for it? God, I know this is selfish, but. And you find one thing, it meets a very unsatisfying conclusion. Why is that? It's not of God. It's not of God's spirit. So look what he says after this. But, thank God for but, those who are according to in relation to the spirit the things of the Spirit. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Think about this right now. What do you truly desire in life? What do you truly desire in life? Is it the American dream? Is it the 2.5 kids, picket fence, garage? 2.5 kids. Where's that half kid coming from? I don't know. That's like what statistics bring it down to. What people would consider success. What is considered success to us? Because I guarantee you this, whatever we prize is most important are the things that fuel us forward. And as a believer in Christ, we need to step back and ask a very sobering question. Is that of the flesh? Or is that of the spirit? Because if it's of the flesh, then by all means, pursue it headlong and crash into the brick wall at the end. Sometimes that's what it takes to get our attention as believers. But if it's of the Spirit, get your hands off the wheel and lay back. Trust the Lord for it. Let Him supply it. He's promised to do so by His grace. And follow the leading of the Spirit in relation to it. Now, He wants to pull this together for you. Verse 6, why is this a problem? For the mindset on the flesh is what? There it is. If you want to know how it's going to end, it's going to end in great tragedy. Now, this isn't talking about spiritual death. If you're a believer in Christ and you got your mind set on, you know, fleshly things and all of a sudden you prove that you weren't really saved or you lost your salvation in some way, he's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to Christians. He's way past the justification section to go back and talk to anybody that would be considered an unbeliever. He's talking about how you grow. And you're going to find that this is fruitlessness or how the Bible actually defines death when you look at all the instances, separation. If you pursue the flesh, you're going to find that there's actually separation that takes place. Separation in what? Separation in your fellowship. Separation because you can't walk with him. You can't walk with the Lord if the flesh is leading the way. It's impossible. Notice what it says after that. It's death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Notice that's not eternal life. That's abundant life. It's abundant life and it's peace. Isn't peace the antithesis of everything we saw in Romans 7? Good grief. Romans 7 is a mental health commercial. What is going on here? It makes you want to run to your pharmacist in droves. I got to get help. Never works. Spirit of God works. And that's what he's getting at here you want to know how to have an abundant life and to have peace in life then it's trusting the spirit let me tell you this real quick if you're someone that has to control everything this is really difficult and i guarantee you that this is where god is working on your life this is where god works on my life a lot because i if i've got my hands on it it's going to be much better than what it would have been who's the dummy that came up with that this guy up here <laughs> right? God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I could ever ask or think and how often I forget that truth. But that expectation of him in light of what he's told me is true in his word, that's what it is to be in the spirit, to have my mind on the spirit. Everybody see that mind keeps popping up, mind, mind, how you think, how you think. There's a great book if you ever want to get it. It's called You and Your Thoughts and it's by Earl Rodmacher. He's my most favorite theologian preacher. He's just fantastic, snarky, spunky, knowledgeable guy. Love him to death. Amazing. You and your thoughts. It's worth your time. It's worth securing that book and reading. Because it brings up a really good point here. We want to know what it's like to live life. We've got to start with correcting how we think about life. And the only thing that corrects our thinking about life is the word of God. You have to think rightly about God if we're ever going to think rightly about how we live life. And that usually starts with thinking about his attributes, who he is and what he has done. So vitally important. The mind, as we're gonna see in Romans 12, has to be renewed. It has to be dealt with. Everybody heard the whole phrase stinking thinking, right? Get rid of that stinking thinking. Cool, get rid of that stinking thinking because it has to do with the flesh but you've got to replace it with something. This is one of the reasons why we memorize scripture. I've hidden your word in my heart that what? I might not sin against you. Did you know that every sin we commit is in the flesh? They fit in that category. So we've got to get rid of that stuff and we've got to fill it with something. What? We need to fill it with something eternal and that's the word of God. If we want to have our mind set on the spirit, the spirit of God and the word of God completely work in unison with one another. Absolutely. You don't believe that? Compare Colossians 3.16 with Ephesians 5.19-21. They work perfectly together. Perfectly together. Indispensable. So he says here, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Why? Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile. Hostile. Everybody hear this? Mitch, can you turn this microphone on? This is a really terrible sound. Everybody hear that? That's my knuckles. For some of you, your toes are curling. Some of you are like, stop it. That's what it's like. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It's actually, you know what that word means? Enmity, which is a derivative of enemies. A mind that is set on the flesh is a mind that is an enemy of God. Is that possible for a believer? Absolutely it is. First Corinthians 3, look at it. It's possible to be existing in jealousy and strife and to be in Christ, but to be infantile in Christ. It's hostile. Notice it's hostile towards God. Here's the explanation. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. The word here, hupotasso. It does not submit itself. It does not voluntarily step into a life of submission to what God wants. A hostile mind will not do that. It all originates in the mind and how we think. He says here, it is hostile to God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able. To do so is not in the original. You can circle it lightly and slash through it. It's not able. A mind that is set on the flesh does not have the ability to do God things. 1 Corinthians 2.14, we're told that we as believers have the mind of Christ. But we only have the mind of Christ as we're walking with him as spiritual people, not as carnal believers. Here's an excellent verse. You don't have to turn to it, but if you want to write it down, here's a way to remedy some of that stuff. Uh, Mitch, if you'd bring up the Philippians 4, look what it says. Finally, brethren, whatever's true. This is a great prescription, guys. Save yourself the trip to Walmart. For whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell, not just think, not just consider, not just dwell, set up a tent, bricks and mortar, dwell on these things. You know what that tells me a good Bible study for the next week is? Going through and asking myself, am I finding stuff that's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent? I tell you what, they're only found in the Word of God. They're not found anywhere else. Those things are only found in the Word of God. And it is all in relation to either who God is, so we're thinking about those awesome things about His character, or what He's done for you and me in Christ. You know the sad thing about this? It's never about us. We are never to dwell on these things about us. Never. That thinking must be replaced with the word of God. This is why the mind gets hostile. It's not able to submit. It doesn't have the ability in itself. Look what he says in verse 8. Man, this this is a great summary statement. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The goal asked you to think about for your life. Does it have as its pinnacle pleasing God? I just want to be pleasing to God. I just want to live a life in such a way as to where I trust him so fully and I'm so open to his leading that I know that he smiles when he he thinks of me as his child. That it brings him joy to work with me. That I'm not grieving the spirit in any way. Instead, I'm saying, regardless of what it is, God, use me. Wherever you want me to go, send me. I'm convinced, maybe this is presumptuous. If I am, I'll be proven wrong. Thank God we're not under the law, so you won't stone me for being a false prophet. I'm convinced that God wants to raise up somebody within our congregation right here to go somewhere and be a missionary, to get up out of the seat, and to sell everything they own, and say, for the sake of people having new life in Christ, it is worth it, and then moving away. And it might be Zimbabwe, and it might be Madison, it might be Chicago, They might be Argentina, but I'm convinced that it's the church of God which set aside ourselves, our flesh, and be asking the question, God, what do you want? That all of a sudden, God is gonna rise up something in us that is undeniable. I'm having conversations with some of you and you're telling me things like, you know what, God is leading me someplace. I never thought I'd go that direction. Praise God, that's his leading. Only glorifying, pleasing things are going to come out of that. Praise God. Praise God for coming to the end of ourselves and saying, God, use me. Verse nine, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Notice he's reminding them of their position. Now we get messed up on the word if, if they're really saved, if they're truly believers. Paul's past that point. There is nothing in here to make us think that he's addressing people who might not be sure of their salvation. This word if actually is oftentimes better translated since. It's stating a fact. Think about it this way. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Does the Spirit of God dwell in you? If he does. Guess what? You're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. In other words, that's who you are in the sphere of grace. So for you to try to go back to your previous dwelling place and try to live is absolutely ludicrous. You've already been transferred to a much greater standing and a much greater calling and a much greater life that is not being used if we're entertaining the things of the flesh. He says here notice the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him what is the marker whether someone is a believer or not it is not their works it is whether or not the spirit is dwelling in them is it someone who is following the leading of the spirit receptive to the things of the spirit the spirit is to lead us into all truth having greater understanding in the revelation of God's word. The the, the spirit is supposed to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. How does the spirit do that? The spirit does that through the people he indwells. Is that happening? That's always not about, have you been feeding the poor? Have you been clothing this person? It's not always in that. And we often regulate it to that one thing. No, 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 no. Is the spirit of God leading you, moving you in a different direction? changing your heart from the inside out. Not everybody can see that. Don't be a judge of one another. Paul warns us against that. He says here, verse 10, if, probably better translated since, because it's a statement of fact, since Christ is in you, is that true? Spirit's in you, Christ is in you. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the indwelling spirit and the indwelling Christ. If, since Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, singular, the sin nature, body's dead. Look what it says. Yet the spirit is what? Alive because of righteousness. If you have the New King James Version, it has a capitalized S. In our New American Standard Version, it has a lowercase s. This is probably better done, capitalized S. I understand why the translators didn't want to do that because they don't want to presume for you, but they sometimes do it in other spots. The idea is the spirit in us. That's where righteousness is, where the spirit dwells internally in our spirit. Even though your body might be dead, you don't discount the fact that you have a righteous spirit within you, and it's God's spirit. Now watch how he moves this. He, sorry, uh, verse 11. But if, since the spirit of him who raised God from the dead dwells in you, that's a fact, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life. To what? your what? Mortal bodies, he might know what that is? This, it's not your flesh. Your flesh and your mortal body are actually two separate things, although your mortal body could be considered your flesh where the sin nature dwells. But here's what it's saying. This vehicle that seems to want to produce sin all the time, guess what? The spirit of God in you is the same spirit that raised Jesus bodily from the dead. And not only can he do that, he's also going to take your body and he's going to raise it from the dead. We call that rapture or resurrection. That's what we call it. We may sit here and think, well, this body's good for nothing and it's junk. It's no good. Guess what? Not always because God's going to deal with it. God's the one who's the difference. God is going to transform it from corruptible to incorruptible he is going to take it from mortal to immortality god is the change agent in this entire situation don't lose hope about your future don't get down about your flesh wanting you to sin don't focus on you focus on what god's word has said that is what it is to walk in the spirit the thinking the thoughts the truths have got to get replaced Tempted to set my minute back here on the clock. He says here, verse 12, so then brethren, notice he believes they're believers. You don't call unbelievers brethren in the midst of something like this. So then brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You have no obligation. You are not in debt to the flesh to obey its desires at all. Does everybody realize that that right there goes hand in hand with verse one? There's no enslavement of sin for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does everybody see that? You're not an obligation to them anymore. Notice what he says here, to live according to the flesh. Why? The flesh only promises death. Verse 13, here's the great one. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die, or you're on your way to death is what the grammar actually means. You are trudging a path that is going to lead into a dying experience in your life. That's it. Fruitlessness. Nothing. Nada. Or the great theological term I like is nothing. But that's not the end. Look what he says. Notice he's putting a choice before them. How you walk is based on how you think. And if you go in this direction, here's what you can expect. But it doesn't have to be like that. And let me tell you how to deal with it. Here it is. You ready, Zach? For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, look at this, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live abundantly. This is not a justification go to heaven when you die verse. This is talking about how you deal with sin and the flesh in your daily life. The only way to kill the flesh to mortify the flesh, the word they're putting to death. It means mortify. It's the idea of taking extreme measures in order to cease the activity. Everybody remember when Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's better for you to enter into life maimed than to go into Gehenna with your entire body intact. Newsflash, I don't believe that Gehenna is hell. But what is he saying? Take extreme measures against your sin. Do whatever it takes to get apart from sin and the flesh. Why? Because obeying the God is a great alternative. And we've got to put it to death. We've got to come to the point where we recognize this isn't going to work and I need to deal with it somehow. How do you deal with it? You deal with it with the Spirit. Everybody with me? Now here's a question. What does this look like in real time? Turn with me to Galatians 5. I'm going to ask Mitch to pull up a a quote by A.W. Tozer. Very interesting quote. so tiny I can't read it. There have been those who have thought that to get themselves out of the way, it was necessary to withdraw from society. So they denied all natural human relationships and went into the desert or the mountain or the hermit's cell to fast and labor and struggle to mortify the flesh. If I just separate myself from other people, I'll be better off. Everybody realize that's victimization? My problem is you. It's not my problem is me. We'll go to great lengths to deny that. Look what he says here. While their motive was good. It's impossible to commend their method. For it is not scriptural to believe that the old Adam nature can be conquered in that manner. It yields to nothing less than the death of the cross. It is altogether too tough to be killed by abusing the body or starving the affections. Or we could say this, monkery. Going into isolation, going into hiding, my, the one that still gets me is the rubber band around the wrist. I mean, number one, that just hurts. And number two, that doesn't make me have a more spirit-filled attitude. Anything I'm mad, because I got a rubber band around my wrist. How do you deal with it? Putting it to death by the Spirit. Galatians 5, look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And remember, walk is always a, an imagery that is used for the idea of how you conduct your life, what you surround your life with. Walk by the Spirit and you will not, notice it won't happen, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. If I'm too busy walking with the Lord, I don't have time for me. Everybody see that? Yet walking with the Lord is the only way to benefit me in this life. Interesting. Verse 17, for here's your explanation. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It lusts against the spirit. And the spirit lusts against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Why? So that you may not do the things that you please. There's your Romans 7 experience. But look what he says here, verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, everybody notice that led is in the passive. Everybody see that? If you're led by the spirit, if you let the spirit of God lead you. Look what it says. You are not under the, what? Law. You're not putting yourself back under that sphere. Why? Because you're grace-oriented and operating. You're operating in the newness that has been provided. Now, I love this because he cuts to the quick. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, here we go, church, you ready? We're going to go quickly. Immorality. Anybody remember what immorality means in the NASB? Sexual immorality. Sexual desires. If I want to know whether or not I'm operating in the flesh or in the spirit, guess what? Paul's going to help you out. Here it is. Immorality. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Uh, Anything like a ceremonial uncleanness. That might even be something as, as minuscule as, in our thinking as not confessing sin like we do here sensuality, the idea of excess going on, idolatry, worshiping false things or created things, sorcery, that word actually means taking mind-altering drugs. That's what it means. It's the idea of if, if, if it's unlegal and if it makes your mind fogged up and notice it deals with the mind, it's wrong. I don't care if it's LSD or pot, it's wrong. I don't care if it's prescription drugs. If it's jacked with your mind so you can't think biblically about God, it is wrong, period. It's a fleshly solution to a spiritual problem. Notice it says here, enmities. We know what that means, right? Hatred, hostility, becoming enemies, strife and jealousy. Everybody notice that's what we saw in 1 Corinthians 3 a couple of weeks ago? That's what made people carnal believers, baby Christians. Outbursts of anger, fits of rage. Anybody that's got kids knows this one. You're like, not me, not me, not me, not me, not, no, it's me. That's where the teaching takes place. Notice what it says here, disputes. Good grief. You got any arguments with anybody? Dissensions. That's causing discord or revolt. Factions, factions. That's actually translated in some situations, heresy. What heresy means is dividing or causing separations is what it means. Envying, being jealous, wanting what somebody else has. Drunkenness. Notice it doesn't say drinking. Let's not be legalistic in our Christianity here. It doesn't say that drinking is wrong. It says that drunkenness is wrong. It's a situation that we need to be aware of. Notice it says carousing. Carousing. Where's that word from? What does that mean? What's it say? Orgies Kinda sad you said yeah to that now, aren't you? Yeah, see? First John 1 9, brother. It's the idea of late night alcohol infested orgies. And all God's people said, yuck. Right? Funky. Nasty. That's the fruit of the flesh. That's the best that the flesh can do is serve, love, gratify, and uphold itself as it slowly decays. Now here's the passage that everybody gets messed up on. Of which I forewarned you that just as I have forewarned you that those who practice, notice, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're a believer who's operating in the flesh and these things are in your check category, you can be guaranteed of one thing you have no inheritance in the coming kingdom of Christ. No inheritance. You will not have rewards. You will not rule and reign alongside Christ. You will be ruled over. You will have no inheritance that the Father graciously wants to give you through the Son. Now let's bring some positive. But the fruit of the Spirit, and remember this, guys, it's singular, and it is the antithesis to everything we saw in the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is, number one, love. How do I love that person? You can't. The Spirit needs to do it through you. God, I cannot love this person. Why? Because they're just like me. Let's be honest. They're just like me. So I need to get out of my own way so that you can love them through me and then watch supernatural love happen. Remember, guys, we serve a supernatural God. The Spirit is able. It's His fruit. Notice it says here, not just love, but joy do you realize that you cannot have the actual essence and definition of joy apart from God? It is not possible. Nothing in this world apart from God gives joy, nothing, not a thing. Anything that we would think would be the extent of our greatest heart's desire will find no fulfillment because it will never reach the maximum plateau of joy. It'll always fall short. Why? Because if God's not in it, it can't get there. Joy is a God word. It's not a world word. It's not a flesh word. It's not a devil word. It's a God word. Notice it says here, how about peace? Good grief, don't we need some peace? We have peace with God because of Jesus. Guess what? We need the peace of God to overshadow us. If you find yourself in really terrible situations and you have this Peace, this understanding, it is well with my soul. You can say it without reservation because you're resting in the promises of God. They've renewed the mind. Guess what? You're in the Spirit. Only the Spirit can give that. How about patience? Good, googly. Patience. God, I just pray for patience. Don't pray for patience. Stop it. Because you guys are like, well, He's going to put you in situations to be patient, right? No, he puts you in those situations to show you that you can't be patient. He's not about improving the flesh. The flesh will not be improved. We have to die or be raptured for it to be renewed and resurrected. The flesh never gets better. It's never about doing better, trying harder. I just need to imitate Christ. No, it's about believing his word so that the spirit brings these things. Patience only comes from the spirit. Notice, kindness, just being genuinely kind to people. Goodness, focused on good things. Faithfulness, not wavering. Gentleness, being gentle with people. I get that the tone of my voice doesn't sound very gentle right now. I promise you this though, I love you guys with all my heart. I desire nothing more than to see all of us experiencing the fruit of the spirit together so that we will mutually build up and edify one another. That's the only way it can happen. It's not by, girl, did you get some new shoes? They look so good today. Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Self-control, that'll take care of those late drunken orgies, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Notice that you can't control that. Your flesh will say, yeah, I'm going for it. Spirit says, nope. Spirit is the one who gives self-control. Against such things, there is no what? Praise God. There is no law. He says here, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you're in Christ, guess what? You've already been crucified. God is just waiting to bring you to the point where you believe that totally. Those passions, those desires, I don't need to participate in them. Why? Because I have access to the spirit. Never had it before, got it now. Praise God, let's live a new life. And here's what it says watch how he does this, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, there's your justification. If it's only by the Spirit that we live spiritually, look what he says. Let us also, what's it say? Walk, conduct yourself, live by the Spirit. You may be here today and you're struggling with some things that are on this list regarding the flesh. Notice that Paul is not even necessarily asking you to do anything in Romans 8. He just wants to get us thinking right about the power of the Spirit in us. And if we are scared to death of the supernatural, we've got to get over that and embrace God's Word for what it plainly tells us. And say, God, it's your show. You do it. You carry it out and watch Him work. Cause we got out of his way and simply believed what he said let's renew our minds with that truth amen man got to put to death by the spirit the deeds of the flesh spirit flesh boom who's next boom who's next boom who's next big one. Oh, Did i get you jim Emily can't walk now. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Let's pray. God, thank you that the means of dealing with ourselves is from you. The power to deal with ourselves is from you. All the desires that want to pull us away. Taking care of those things comes from you. You are the source. You are source are the light. You are the life. You are our peace. God, how wonderful and amazing and beyond me it is to think that your spirit dwells in each one of us and it is the same Holy Spirit, God himself. Power untold, riches untapped how great it is that Paul wants to lead us in understanding the flesh just ends in in death. What your desire for us is life and peace and you've given us the spirit to make that possible. Thank you, Father, that you are merciful, that you are gracious, that you are giving. And it's all by your grace. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.